0: Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, in Melbourne, Florida.
1: He says, when the nation of Israel allows us trouble, who's going to have to correct it? You are, my people. You're going to have to correct it. So, you know, we, we want to curse the TV industry, and, and again, they all have their part. But we need to be salt and light. We haven't been. God says, this is your problem. You know, always when we're confronted with sin, we want to make an excuse for somebody else. And God says, no, you're the one. You're the people. You're the people.
0: When something is going wrong in your life, your first instinct is probably to try and fix it. If your marriage is troubled, you might think first of counseling or a couple's retreat. If your finances are weak, you might think to take on extra work. Our first response to a scary situation should be to go to God. Don't sideline Him when you're struggling. He should be your first place of refuge, your first counselor. If you're willing to let Him lead you no matter where you end up, He'll be there. Sometimes our idea of fixing things just moves us further away from where He's trying to put us. Humble yourself, seek Him. And he will hear and heal you. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 10. With the conclusion of our message entitled, Seven Keys to Real Success.
1: And if you, even though the church as a whole is doing well, if you're inward, you will die spiritually. If all you're concerned with is your own spiritual growth and not giving out of yourself, to you will die yourself. You see, the way we mature is serve, give, go, share with others. And that's what Christ was trying to say. So you can just look at your own life tonight. This is about you. This is about me. If you're an inward kind of you, say, well, my personality is inward. The Holy Spirit will change that. What changes the world is when you say, you know what? My marriage was totally destroyed, but God put it back together 100%. That's what changes the world. All right, let's move on. War and captivity. Again, that's another time. I won't take time. Sin. Verse 36. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Hello. Does that sound like New Testament? See, that's exactly like the New Testament. That's a very important principle. In other words, there is no one that does not sin. So we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the book of Romans. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory. So your people say to me, well, I haven't sinned. No, you have. For there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy. takes them captive to a land far and away. If they have a change of heart, they will be held captive. Repent, plead with you. In the land of captivity, boy, is this history, isn't it? We have sinned, we have done wrongly and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of captivity, where you have taken them and prayed toward this land when you gave them their fathers toward the city you have chosen, toward the temple I have built for their name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas, uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. So that's very much the history of what Israel did. Now verse 40. Now my God... May your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Circle that and you'll see why in a moment. Now, he's talking about the temple, the temple. Now arise, O Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May the priesthood, O God, be clothed with salvation. May your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great promise to David, your servant. Now, as he's doing that, remember, what he's saying is, he's going through all of these areas of prayer. He's been on his knees already, publicly, saying his need for God. Then he goes through all of these things, and he says, his all of his prayers, and let's just use this back wall, are prayed toward the temple, this place. It was a very important place. God let this place be where the people can come and receive their answers to prayer. Turn back to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 6. And then you might have another finger. You can turn to the book of John quickly. You see, in those days, specifically, it was very important to pray toward the temple in Jerusalem. This was representative of inside was the presence of God. Now, Solomon knew God didn't remain there, but it was just a, a place where that represented his presence. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows open toward Jerusalem. And three times he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to God just as he had done before. So here in Daniel 6:10 what you see is this years later Daniel, three times a day, is getting that. And where is he praying toward? Jerusalem. Now, where do the Muslims pray toward? Mecca. So, see, he he's here years later. Still that same principle, what is in his heart. Here we are thousands of years later. Same thing. The, the only remnant left. And it, it's really special to them. Now, John chapter 4. Quickly. Isn't the Old Testament Amazing. Just some neat stuff that applies our lives so much. John chapter 4. You see, tonight, we don't have to worry about going to Jerusalem or finding a wall or praying in a certain way, even though nothing wrong with going to Jerusalem and putting that there because God isn't behind that wall. You know that. John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus met a Samaritan woman who thought there was a certain place they had to pray. Mount Gerizim. Jerusalem's were the Jews were praying in Jerusalem here. Well, look what Jesus declares. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain, Mount Griezmann, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritan worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of the worshipers. The father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So when we pray tonight, not specifically in a, a direction, doesn't have anything really to do with this building. And yet let me remind you of this in Mark. Jesus says this, My house shall be called a house of prayer. That has two applications. This needs to be a house of prayer. We're learning that. You're coming on our monthly prayer meeting. But this house needs to be a house of prayer. See, I house God through the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian tonight, God lives in you. So we worship in. I don't have to face a certain direction. I don't have to kneel. I don't have to stand. It's not You can do all of those things. It's not about that. It's what's happening here. It's spirit and it's truth. Now, the whole reason for that is to remember this. God wants to communicate with us. Isn't that awesome? Let's go back to Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, what happened? Put yourself there. Put yourself in the front row. You just heard Solomon pray. He prayed this wonderful prayer. And you're going, is it over yet? (laughs) Maybe you were sleeping. Are you sleeping now? You are definitely not sleeping now. And Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven. How did that happen? How, how could fire come down from heaven? How could God do that? God's supernatural. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And then look what happened. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Praise God. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord filled it. Then all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple Guess what they did? They knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. We've lost somewhere the holiness of God. We've lost the awesomeness of God. God is not a give me, give me, give me little. God is the creator of the universe. And when these guys saw that, it wasn't like, come on, I'm late for my TV program here right on their face before God. Humbled, obviously. And they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Let's say that together. He is good. His love endures forever. Amen. So what does that mean? It means that God loved this prayer. At the end of Solomon's prayer, God didn't say, uh, not too good, try again. He loved the prayer because it focuses on God and man's need and God's sovereignty and man's free will. Now, there's lots of prayers in the Bible that are good to pray. This is one of them. Not just the prayer of Jabez. God answered the prayer of Jabez prayer too. But he answered this prayer. He he liked this prayer. That's the kind of prayers I want to pray. So it's a good example for us to look at that. And realize that, I mean, how good God was. Verse 4. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice. Put yourself there. Of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. I mean, you, you can't even imagine that, can you? So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. So what do you see that's important there for us? When this was over, when the prayer was over, the people praised God. It's not only good to praise at the beginning of our prayer, it's good to praise God at the end. Thanks, God, you're good. If you know we went around the room tonight and just started over here and say, Give me two minutes of when God's been good to you and his love's endured forever, we'd be here forever. God is really a good God. Verse six, then the priests took their positions, as in the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests, Blew their trumpets and all of Israel were standing. And I like this next verse. And Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord. And there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings and grain offerings in the fat portion. Verse 8. So Solomon observed the temple at that time for seven days. On the eighth day he had assembled. They celebrated some more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes. Tired, weary, worn out, because they'd been worshiping God. Is that what it says? He sent the people after the 23rd day to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and his people. Now, this celebration is a picture of joyful Christian life. If you don't have joy in your home, ask God what you need to do to get it. Don't say, well, I have joy in my home, and my wife would do this. <laughs> or if my kids would do this, or if my husband would do this. No, you ask God what you need to do. Now, we all have weeks that we don't have joy in our home. We're real people. But if overall, you don't have joy in your home, you ask God what you need to do. You see, our homes are to be places of joy and of light. And there needs to be joy there. One of the things that still encourages me today is, is to walk into this building before service and hear people... Well, it's joy. Have you ever walked into church and you wanted to turn around and walk out? Because something wasn't right. That's infectious. See, joy is infectious. Acts 2.4, just read the chapter of Acts 2. I don't have time to even touch it tonight. But... The thing that attracted the people was the joy of the Lord. I mean, it's absolutely, it's like measles. Whoosh, the whole people got it. It was the joy of the Lord, and they loved getting it. If you don't have joy in your home, ask God why. If you don't have joy in your life, ask God why. Verse 11 when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and exceeded carrying all he had in mind to do in the temple and his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for the sacrifices. So again, God comes to Solomon and says, what you did was good. Now, when I shut up the heavens, so there's no rain or command locusts to divide the land or send the plagues among my people. Here's the verse that you've heard all your life. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, just by that verse, write this. Our responsibility. Our responsibility. We'll go home and we'll say, the reason this world is going down the tubes, these television programs... This movie junk. The drug people. Washington, what a joke. Look at the congressman. Here we go again. The reason this country is going down the tubes is because of... But what does God say the reason the country is going down the tube is? Take a look at it. The first two words tell you. Three words. If my people. So God says, the problem with the nation is not the sinners. The problem with the nation is my people aren't praying. I knew I wouldn't get too many men's because I didn't like it either, but it's true. <laughs> That's what he says. He says, when the nation of Israel has us trouble, who's going to have to correct it? You are, my people. You're going to have to correct it. So, you know, we, we want to curse the TV industry. And, and again, they all have their part. But we need to be salt and light. We haven't been. God says, this is your problem. You know, always when we're confronted with sin, we want to make an excuse for somebody else. And God says, no, you're the one. You're the people. You're the people. Now, let me give you these seven keys. If my people who are called by my name. In a moment, we'll get to the the first keys of success. But before you can give into these seven keys, the first thing you have to realize is this. There is no true success Without a personal relation to Jesus. See, if my people, if you can't say, like David did, the Lord is my shepherd, you'll have plenty of wants. The first key to getting a marriage fixed is that both spouses will come to the Lord. The first way to get off of drugs is if you'll come to the Lord. First way to get your finances straight is come to the Lord, then cut up your credit card. Second. So, there's lots of ways. You gotta, you gotta come to, so, you know, we overlook this. But that's the key. See, everybody wants to get the other things fixed. I want my marriage to be good. I want my money to be taken care of. I want my kids to do whatever. And I'm going to do all these things. And then somewhere I'll fit God in. No, you start with God first. That's what it always is. So he says, if my people who are called by my name, in other words, they represent me, we'll do this. Well, what are the seven? By the way, you have to do that part. Now we come to three parts that man has to do. Number one, you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself. We talked about that. What that means is we recognize that we are nothing and God is everything. Also, part of humbling is admitting our sin. Isn't that humbling when you have to admit your sin? Whew, I don't like it. Number two, success. Pray to God. If my people will humble themselves, then pray to God. That's that communication, that two-way communication. Number three, Seek God's face. Not his hands. Not what can you give me, God? But I seek your face because a face, a face is, it means intimacy. When you're dating, when you're married to your spouse, you look at each other in the face, you know, that those that eye contact. There's an intimacy. That's what he's talking about here. Many times all we do is I don't want to look at your face, God. I want, what do you got in your hand for me? No, it's an intimacy. And the fourth part of this, which is man's part, is this. Truly repent. In other words, turn from their wicked ways. So man's part of, of changing our world, of taking our world and turning it upside down, is first of all, know God, then humble yourself, pray to God, seek God's face, and then truly, truly repent. I don't have time, but, True repent means more than just feeling sorry because you got caught. It means feeling sorry enough to turn from the way you used to walk. It totally means that. Total repentance. Now, the next three parts are God's part. If we'll do those four things, those keys to success in our life, what will God do? Number five, God will hear. He hears this kind of prayer. Remember, He doesn't hear a prayer if we have sin in our heart. He wants to get our heart done and corrected before that so if you're here tonight and you're a Christian but there's an area of life that God's talked to you about and it's sin and you're wondering why your prayers aren't answered that's exactly why if I regard iniquity in my heart God will not hear me so I have to repent then God hears me number six when God hears God forgives why? that's God's nature he always wants to forgive he promises us to forgive First John 1 9 you know that and number seven here's the key God will then heal our land. It means heal every area of your life, physical, mental, emotional, and of course, spiritual. That healing will begin in our lives. It will then go to our country, our churches, our neighborhoods, and our world. That's God's goal, is to bring this spiritual awakening to our world. Together, we can change our world, but it has to go through those parts. Verse 15. Now, my eyes will be open and my ears attended to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there. As for you, here's your circle again. If you will walk before me, as David your father did, and do all I command, if, 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 and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne. As I covenanted with David your father, I said, you will never fail to have a man rule over Israel. There again, remember the good news always includes... The bad news. God says, if you do this, wonderful. If you won't, here's the consequences. Verse 19. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, what happens? Then I will, what? Uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them. I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among the people. Did that ever happen? It's happened Twice. Happened twice, And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And the people will answer, we don't know. No, they will answer because they have forsaken the Lord. The God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt have embraced other gods, worshiping them and serving them. That is why he has brought this disaster on them. One of the saddest things that could ever happen corporately tonight would be this church to stop teaching the Word of God, this church to fall into into sin, just wild sin, and eventually this turned into some kind of a construction area or a park, whatever, and people go by. Do you remember the days when that parking lot, you couldn't even get in that place? Do you remember the days? Saddest thing that could ever happen. Bring it down to our own lives. Can you remember, does a person come to your mind right now who really used to serve God? They're totally away from God tonight. See, that brings reproach in God's name. If my people will humble themselves, pray, and ask forgiveness for their sins, I'll hear, I'll forgive, And I'll heal their land and their lives.
0: The seven keys to success that we heard about told us how to do our part in our relationship with the Father. Like Solomon prayed to the Lord, we must also go to him with humility, seeking his face and truly repent of our sins. He's faithful and merciful and will hear us, forgive and heal us if we're willing to receive it. Solomon's prayer, however, also acknowledged the consequences for sin which we also must bear.
1: Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series the next time you join us. For
0: those of you that like to have CD archives of Bible teachings, we'd like to offer you a CD of Pastor Mark's message from today. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the
1: Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5. This is only
0: to cover the materials and shipping it takes for you to receive your CD. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option. Now, here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. The message number from today's broadcast is 2273. And the title of this message is Seven Keys to Real Success. Again, today's message number for ordering purposes is 2273. And the title of this message is Seven Keys to Real Success. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Lessons for Living as we come to the part of Solomon's life where things begin to change for him. Instead of having a heart after God like his father, David, he'll begin to follow his own heart. He is moving in the right direction, but small compromises will lead to the unraveling of his relationship with the Lord. Outwardly, he is a success, but only the heart matters. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the book of Second Chronicles. That's next time on Lessons for Living.